I think it's about how we talk about pharmacy and how the profession sees itself as well. What are those things pharmacies can do and how we have to keep talking about what we do and making sure people are aware of what we're able to do and how we can deliver value. And that's one thing government needs to understand is that pharmacies can really save the government huge amounts of money. Hi, I'm Monique Mackerel, Tasmanian Guild Branch Director, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. The mission of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia is to enable community pharmacy to serve the needs and preferences of patients and health consumers across Australia using pharmacy's unique role in medication management and safety. The Guild's focus areas based on strategies, outcomes and measures are member services and engagement, advocacy, community pharmacy sustainability and governance. There is a guild branch in each state and territory to provide members with tailored support for business operations, workforce training and advocacy. The branch staff deliver guild initiatives through member pharmacies, maximising member value and strengthening community pharmacy as a pillar of healthcare across Australia. And today we speak with Monique Mackerel, Tasmanian Branch Director, about the work that the guild is doing at the coalface and what opportunities are available to community pharmacies. Here's Monique. Hi, Monique, and thanks for joining us today and giving us some insight into what happens at the branch level. Let's kick off with you telling us maybe just a little bit about the Tasmanian community pharmacy landscape. Thanks for that, Daniel. We've got 164 pharmacies in Tasmania. Uh, They're spread across the the whole state, as you would expect. Um, Traditionally, you know, we've got a spread in uh, all rural and regional areas. And there's obviously a concentration of them, you know, in and around the sort of larger regional centres of of Hobart, uh, Launceston and the northwest coast. And then we have, you know, the smaller pharmacies in the more rural and regional areas across the state. I always have this idyllic thought that those pharmacies operate in these cute little towns and and tight-knit communities. Is that fair? It would be fair to say that. I think that those small pharmacies uh, that operate in those communities have a real sense of community. Traditionally, uh, and we are seeing some changes, but they were very much owner-operated pharmacies. So the person who owned them lived in the community and they're very much part of the community. That's still, uh, I guess, you know, what is true for many of them. But there has been a shift recently where we've got more you know, management models where we have people own the pharmacies and put employee staff into them. So there has been a little bit of a shift more recently, but you still find that a lot of those uh, employee pharmacists do become quite um, central to those communities and have a deep affection for some of those areas. Outstanding. Great rundown. So what does the branch that you work in, the Tasmanian branch, do to support those community pharmacies in Tasmania, rural or more in the city settings? What are the primary areas that you focus on for them? It's really varied. I I couldn't say that every day is the same. 
it can be very much around, I guess, you know, we need to make sure that our members understand the work that we do in advocacy, which, you know, often people don't understand what goes into advocacy with um, government and trying to get some of the, you know, where we would talk about um, pharmacists working at full scope and what that means. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes in that space. So that's sort of some of the work that unless you're having a sort of a face-to-face -face conversation with a pharmacist, a member in their pharmacy, kind of giving them a bit of an update, they're probably not across. But typically it'll be things like um, something to do with the poisons regulations. It might be something to do with, you know, uh, regulations around the premise. It might be location rules, industrial relations questions, um, product out of stocks, um, where they can source something like a new fridge, you know, where's the best place I can get a new fridge from for the dispensary. Um, do I know of any pharmacists? That's a pretty common one at the moment, <laughs> uh, trying to help people find, find staff, I guess. Um, and even, you know, things like recently, unfortunately, we had one of our uh, members passed away suddenly. And that meant, of course, that that pharmacy has to kind of go into almost um, administration to be managed under the requirement of the PBS because you have to be a pharmacist to own a pharmacy. So it was kind of giving uh, the wife of uh, our um, deceased member some guidance around what they needed to do. So it can be really varied. Every day is kind of different, which is which is what I love about it. Sounds busy. I wasn't under any illusion that you weren't busy. I just wanted to backtrack a little bit there and just ask or unpack the advocacy because when we talk about advocacy, it's probably important for people to understand that advocacy isn't usually a quick process, is it? The, the, the government and the regulators, they need to be taken on a, a journey of understanding before they're able to be in a position to take action. And just because the pharmacy industry and community sees the world a certain way doesn't mean that action is going to be taken straight away, does it? Absolutely. That's so true. Advocacy is one of those things, I guess, that it's a bit of a slow burn. Of course, when we have, you know, something like COVID, there are opportunities to kind of, I guess, advance it based on stuff that you've been working on for a long time. And then all of a sudden something comes along, which is a bit of a catalyst. But advocacy is typically, you know, there's all sorts of advocacy. It can be grassroots where you, you know, we uh, ask our members to, to get their uh, patients sort of involved in helping to, I guess, get regulators to see our position about why things should be changed. And it's very much around access for people, for their medications and a fairness within the system that may not exist. Um, and then there's obviously, you know, the state, you know, the regulatory requirements that have to change to support some of the changes we want. So, you know, that means, you know, talking to the minister and, and getting the department to sort of see where you want to go with something. And, you know, generally the minister has an advisor that will work between the minister and the department. And then dependent on, I guess, uh, you know, who is, I guess, the person who ultimately pulls the lever um, will depend on, you know, what sort of traction you get. So if you look at something like... Um, vaccination in pharmacy. Um, I probably think that the 
I guess the lever or the catalyst for that would have been the swine flu pandemic, which happened. Um, so that was probably the trigger which enabled pharmacists to start to get into this space. And it's been a bit of a, so here we are five years down the track, um, started with influenza vaccines and then what I, I love uh, the term that Trent has, which is called competitive federalism. So we'll typically say, oh, look what they're doing over here in this state. Oh, you know, why are we doing it like this? Why is Tasmania so different? You know, there's that almost like we're getting left behind. So we want, I guess, you know, for our members to see that we're on the front foot and we're getting those wins. But it is really also about um, presenting the evidence of, you know, this is a good thing for access. It's not hurting anybody. Um, I guess it's, you know, just trying to bring the department and get the minister really across uh, the specifics of it. Because obviously, for example, our health minister has got multiple portfolios and it, they're not only just interested or, you know, letting us sort of talk their ear off about pharmacy and all the stuff we want. They've got lots of other people that are kind of in their ear as well, pushing what they want. So I guess, you know, we've really got to pick a couple of things that that we can prosecute that make sense um, and, you know, keep pushing for it and using examples like we look at what's happening in the other states, but we also look at what is happening internationally as well as um, guidance, I guess. So there's a few things that we... You know, obviously, the continued expansion of pharmacists doing um, vaccinations. You know, there's the COVID vaccination, but there's a whole raft of other things that, you know, we could be doing in terms of travel vaccines. There's um, vac um, non-vaccine injectable medicines, which are things like, um, you know, Humira or uh, some of the long-acting reversible contraceptives. or And it's about, you know, pharmacists being able to administer those. So it may not be you know, prescribing, but it's the administration of them that we feel is something that pharmacists, you know, are, are easily able to do, but can actually be very helpful for a lot of people, particularly people with, um, you know, mobility issues and, and where their dexterity, if they're an older person, they've got dexterity problems, being able to inject themselves can be tricky. So it's something that pharmacists, you know, absolutely should be able to do, even down to you know, putting a um, a morphine patch on somebody. So it's been it's been prescribed. The pharmacist dispenses it, and some people don't have anybody that can actually administer that patch. So there's a there's a lot of opportunities. We've just got to look at, I guess, um, what what is the best way forward for us to get there. And it is a long, slow burn. And of course, you made a good point. There's other people in the minister's ear who may have competing outcomes versus what the pharmacy industry is trying to achieve. So that there's always that that little bit of tension between industries and community groups sometimes. So it takes time to work through that advocacy. It's hard and it's slow work, but it's hugely important. And no doubt it takes up a lot of time during your day. And you alluded to it before, you said no day is the same, but can you paint us a little bit of a picture? Does it start with making a coffee when you get to work? Absolutely. It uh, usually means that I go down to what I call my other office, which is, uh, you know, one of the cafes in Salamanca and getting myself a good uh, long black coffee and bringing it back to the office. 
And, um, you know, typically, uh, you know, I jump into my emails and have a look at, I mean, I guess emails are with you all the time and they can take up a lot of time. But, you know, there's a lot of, um, I guess, looking at some of those things that might have come in that you think, yep, I need to be in the office to deal with that. And then it, it would mean, you know, following up on, I guess, you know, the work in progress stuff or the business as usual stuff that sort of is always there. And then it may mean that, you know, there's a, a phone call to, to some members. I like to try and get out and visit our members. So, you know, it's great to go out and see what members are doing in their pharmacies just to go in and, and check in and say hello to them. Um, often with some of the advocacy pieces we do, it might be, you know, looking at submissions that we're, we're doing or, you know, we are, um, I guess, responding to. It's looking at, you know, alliances that we, um, that make sense in terms of advocacy. So we need to obviously work with other stakeholder groups that understand how pharmacists in communities can be really advantageous to, um, I guess, what their needs are for their stakeholders. Palliative care is a really good example. I've had some really good meetings recently with the CEO of Palliative Care Tasmania and explained, you know, some of the things that we can do in pharmacy and she's given me some amazing insights into the, I guess, the, the, the need of palliative care services in the home to keep people, if they want to be able to die at home, they can do, um, I guess, uh, safely and, and in a dignified manner. But for that to happen, there needs to be support around it. So, you know, there's a, I guess there's a bit of liaison for me because I'm not a pharmacist back to um, our national secretariat and also our branch committee and just other members that I know are, you know, have an interest in certain areas to kind of get information from them about what that might look like in a community pharmacy context for us to really be able to support that organisation or their constituents and then be able to, I guess, put ideas forward that, that palliative care is able to say to government, look, we think pharmacists could be more broadly involved and particularly the, you know, the pharmacists in community pharmacies. So it's kind of like they are almost doing some of our work for us. It's not always just us trying to push ourselves in. And then, like I said, you know, there's... Um, often we're preparing media releases. Um, so we've got a pretty small team in Tassie. Uh, there's myself, there's my business development manager. Uh, we've got an administrator and business support officer, which is a, a wrapped up role. I, um, and I also have our, um, I guess, our marketing and comms manager who actually lives in Ballarat that was with the branch, but moved to Ballarat. So in terms of keeping the, corporate knowledge intact, you know, there was a decision made to enable, um, I guess, a remote position for that person. And we also have a person that does finance, uh, you know, sort of six hours on a Friday. So we've got a small team and I guess part of the remit I had when I came into the branch was looking at how we could do things differently to, to remain sustainable. Um, and so I come from a corporate background and very used to, you know, there being a, a shared service arrangement where, you know, you, you basically did all your 
accounts, for example, and finance are, are done by a head office and um, our training function, uh, you know, we I looked at that and thought we probably have a better way to do this. There's a lot of regulatory requirements. So what I wanted to do was actually unshackle our branch from some superfluous activity that members didn't kind of see any tangible value in and invest in people that were able to be more front-facing and do more on the, in you know, working for the members, helping them with their different things. Not all members are the same. You know, some are with brands, uh, some are independents, we've got interstate owners. So it's really about making sure that you are really across your membership base and making sure they're aware of the solutions we have. So I've got really good connections with, you know, the the brand representatives and the wholesale representatives. I came from that side. So I use those networks to ensure that they understand the the, I guess, you know, what the Guild does and how we assist their customers who are our members. So, again, they're almost, um, I guess, you know, they help to reinforce the value of the Guild if they know what we're doing. So, you've really got to tell your story and make sure people are aware of what it is that you do. You spoke about awareness of what you can do for members and you've given a great rundown on your key focuses as a branch and, of course, some of the typical things that you do each day. And you also spoke about some of the changes you've made since coming on board. Do you find there's some services or things that you do as a branch that members are surprised that you do or offer? I think it's really the knowledge that you have. It's really hard when... Like, you know, you do have a really broad membership base. So they'll often ring up and say, I don't know if you can help me, but do you know or are you aware of or where would I get this? And then you can kind of, I'll often say, oh, sometimes it's like, yep, you can X, Y, Z, you know, this is where you get that from or, hey, I've got a person who can or, you know, there's that sort of, of aspect to it. I think that they um, get pretty used to you being able to help solve some of their problems. So even though they might be surprised, I think they uh, think, I'll ring the Guild and see if they know. So when they say, oh, that's awesome, thanks for that, or brilliant, great, you know, that's just what I needed, um, I don't know that they're ever kind of go, oh, we didn't realise. Sometimes they, they'll say, oh, I didn't realise you can get that or you guys did that. And sometimes it's been a service that we've always had. It's just that they've never asked the question. And sometimes it's you only need what you you only need something when you need it. So you can send out a whole bunch of information to our membership. We do an e-news and there's all sorts of things in there. And then somebody will ring me and say, oh, you know, da, 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 I need this X, Y, Z. And, and I kind of think, geez, that was in the e-news, you know, two weeks ago. But, you know, at that time, it's not on their radar. So you don't kind of just keep, you know, oh, yeah, I'll, I remember that. I remember that. It's it's about, about me. I'm one of those people that um, I never lose an email. So I can usually go, oh, yeah, I had that email about that thing. So I've kind of got it, you know, in the back of my um 
I guess not in my back pocket, but I kind of have a, I, 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 I've got a recollection of that. So I guess um, one of the things is, is that, you know, I've been in pharmacy for over 20 years and I came from a, a more of a corporate sales environment and in Tasmania, my, and I'd done a few national roles. So I've, I've got quite good networks, which are really handy to have. And a bit like our business development manager, he's come from a similar background. And you you just build up, you know, over those years, you build up a lot of networks and a lot of um, resources. You know, you kind of know where to get things. And I think that's the thing. It's knowing where you can get something or access something or know who to talk to to get an answer even though you mightn't have that information at your fingertips at the time, um, it's about, I guess, you know, connecting people to solutions. And that willingness to help. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's, you know, I got an email on a, on a Saturday from a, a pharmacist and he works for a member pharmacy and it was about the COVID um, vaccine in terms of, an, of the interval dose. And I saw the email and, I actually shot it off to the, um, you know, the health department or contact I've got in there thinking, oh, I'll just forward that and say, FYI, you know, what do you think? And then that person responded to me on a Saturday because, you know, obviously they're a public health person and they're, they're probably just work constantly at the moment, I would imagine. And, and this particular lady's, you know, fabulous. Um, and then the answer came back to me. So I kind of thought, you know what, I'll just... So I rang, you know, the particular pharmacist and said, hey, you know, I've got an answer for you. Um, it's X, Y, Z. So, you know, they're working on a Saturday. Um, they've had a customer come in and, and, and request this. So for me, really, it's kind of like five minutes, you know, out of my day. But I can, I can kind of solve that thing straight away, which is kind of really nice to be able to do. Um, but on the downside, I guess, that you're always on a little bit, you know. And, and look, I'm, I've got to say, you know, some of my colleagues in, in National and so on, um, you know, sometimes you do flick off an email at 11 o'clock at night because you're sort of doing something. You don't expect that you'll get an answer, but often you'll get an answer and it's like, what are you still doing up sending emails? And they'll be like, well, what are you still sending emails for? So I, I think that, you know, there is a, a real desire for, uh, many people that work within the guild, you know, they really do have a vested interest in community pharmacy and our membership. You know, they they really are. I guess you know you need to reach out and and you know look for the answers and and just not offer operate in isolation. You know, use all your contacts that you can to get what you need and share your information. So. You know, I, I quite like sharing, you know, what I know. I'm happy to sort of give people any of my resources or how we do stuff. Um, it mightn't apply to them. It might not be useful. But there might be just one little thing that actually is like, oh, actually, that's that's really good. Yep, great. We can use that. So, you know, it's uh, I guess it, it's the sum of all parts, really, you know, without having um, other people sort of, invested into pharmacy and that's what I think you know community pharmacy it's it's a big industry but it's a small industry you know the, once you start to build those networks and I guess that's why I've stayed in pharmacy you know it's quite a it's a niche sort of industry for sure 
once you build that knowledge, it's kind of hard to let go of. And I know I'm preaching to the converted here, the listeners, but obviously an industry that has a profound impact on our communities and, and does such important work. Now, I'm very much looking forward to the answer for this next question, especially because as you've mentioned a couple of times, you've come from more of a corporate background. So as such, I'm interested in from your experience, what you see as the biggest opportunity for pharmacy and our role in the healthcare system currently. Healthcare is very much on everybody's radar, um, particularly because of COVID. And I guess there's a realisation across you know, from a public health perspective, from an industry perspective, is that your personal health is really important. And in terms of COVID, and not in all cases, but people who have become, you know, more seriously ill have been people that have probably been, you know, had comorbidities to begin with. So I think for for pharmacy there's a re- there's two models you know there's a, a there's a, a a discount lots of product on shelves model that exists you know and that's always going to exist and that's fine but there really is an amazing opportunity to be that health hub to be able to deliver more there needs to be the remuneration but um, in saying that you've got to be able to deliver something that somebody's actually going to see the value out of. And I think that's something that pharmacists really grapple with, that they, how do you uh, put a value on some of the things that they do when they've traditionally done a lot of things at no charge and the reliance on government remuneration. Now, in some instances, yep, the government should be remunerating for some of these things. Absolutely. But there are a lot of other things that pharmacies can do um, which are uh, valued by consumers that they will pay for. But I think that you've you've got to be able to deliver it in an environment that I guess best conveys that. So, you have to, you know, if you've got a consult room, it needs to look like a really good consult room. It's got to, I guess, be fit for purpose. If you're doing vaccinations, you know, you need to make sure that it, it it's not something that's kind of like a broom closet, but it's something that's, again, it actually speaks to the profession of what you are doing. So I think that um, for pharmacy, you know, we are able to uh, highlight and also making sure that we tell people what we can do. You know, I have even my friends, you know, that they've known that I've been in pharmacy for years and I'll say, you know, you can get a flu vaccine at your pharmacy. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I forget about that. I didn't realise that, you know, or, you know, unwanted medications, you know, which are dangerous in the community. You know, you can actually get rid of all of those in the pharmacy, just take them in and, you know. And I think it's around, you know, where we can use uh, different language. So you might say to someone, oh, those medications are dangerous to just leave in your house. And they think, oh, yeah, fair enough. Versus 
you know, those medications, if you kind of dispose of them just in your rubbish bin or put them down the toilet, like it's environmentally unfriendly and people go, oh, okay, oh, oh, I'll go, you can take them back to your pharmacy and they've got, you know, proper ways to, to dispose of them. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, there's, I think it's about um, how we talk about pharmacy and and how the profession sees itself as well where, uh, you know, what are those things pharmacies can do and how we have to keep talking about what we do and making sure people are aware of what we're able to do and how we can deliver value. And that's one thing government needs to understand is that pharmacies can, can really save the government huge amounts of money through keeping people out of hospital. And I think a really great example of that is the Queensland UTI trial that they've been doing up there. So, you know, in Tassie, that, that's one of those potentially preventable hospitalisations. Costs four and a half thousand dollars per night for a, for a person to stay in hospital. And I think it's about a, 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 an average of about a four night stay. You know, we should absolutely be able to um, diagnose treat, dispense uh, somebody for that condition. And, you know, people are happy to pay for it. And it's and I guess it's about that value add. So I think that's why, you know, vaccinations have been one of those things that in pharmacy people have been happy to pay for because you're kind of you're getting something for your money sort of thing. You know, so they actually see the value in that. Um, some of those other things that we do around, you know, uh, medication sort of evaluation services and it's a little bit sort of like, you know, some people kind of can't see the value in in that. It's one of those things, oh, well, you're just talking to me and, you know, I'm not kind of getting anything for it. But I don't know many other health, well, many other professionals that freely give up their time like pharmacists. So I, I just think that there's a real, um, I, I guess it's again, it's a bit of a catalyst moment of where pharmacy is positioned and what it looks like in the future. And also pharmacists recognising that they don't have to be able to do everything. So it's not a be, about being able to have to deliver on every single thing. And it's about looking at your business a bit more holistically and working who are the, working out, you know, if I've got this opportunity to own this healthcare business, what other healthcare people can I bring into this business? So you become that community health hub. You know, you're, you are controlling the dialogue about the services that are delivered in your pharmacy. And to do that, you know, you've really got to kind of, I, I guess, unshackle yourself from some of, um, you know, being a purveyor of just product, you've got to be able to work out, well, how do I um, become this healthcare environment in terms of delivering other things? And products are a, a great opportunity. I'm not saying, you know, move out of that space. And I, I'm a lover of retail and that's kind of where I cut my teeth, I guess. But I do see there's a better place to be. A very comprehensive answer. Lots of opportunity and there will be students looking to move out of their studies and into their internships and they may be listening to this and, and thinking, wow, she's definitely covered a lot of things where there's some lots of opportunities 
there's growth in the sector, there's different paths I can pursue. And as you mentioned earlier, there's quite a few community pharmacies in regional and rural locations in Tasmania. For those early career pharmacists listening today, why would you encourage them to, to go out and seek to work in these pharmacies? What's great about those areas? What are the opportunities they'll find out there? And, and overall, what would the experience be like? For young people, there's a real opportunity to become a leader in the community. So I think that by all means, there's there's so many facets to working in pharmacy. I think for young people, if you're going to work in a regional area, a rural area, that you need to build networks and you need to kind of build up the collaboration with other healthcare practitioners, which I think is really important as well to to be able to reach out and not have to solve all the problems yourself. Um, so I would, you know, where you, you, some people in those communities, particularly younger people, if they've not been used to being in regional areas, can somewhat feel a little bit isolated. But I think now there's some amazing, you know, online, um, you know, communities of practice that can actually help support you know, younger people that are entering the profession. And we sometimes hear that, oh, well, you know, if you work in community pharmacy, it's it's not really clinical. And, and, you know, that's kind of the domain of, you know, working as a hospital pharmacist, you know, there's a bit of kind of, I guess, um, friction in that space. But I, I think it's for people that are working in community pharmacy, they see they are exposed to so much and they see so much, but it's really important to continually develop your skills in an area. So if you do your bee farm and then you go into a rural area, you know, there's probably a need, you know, for um, diabetes education or, um, you know, maybe wound care specialty or, you know, there's lots of areas because often regional areas, you know, they do... They don't. They can suffer from not having a, um, a, I guess, a, a lot of embedded healthcare practitioners in the area. And in Tassie, that's pretty much what happens. You know, we've got areas where there's pharmacists, but there's no GPs. So, um, I guess it's about, uh, you know, looking at some other areas that are are of interest, and really broadly developing your skills and knowing how to reach out into, you know, the primary health network or, for example, the, you know, rural health uh, nursing networks um, to, to be able to value add, but to also potentially use your pharmacy as a bit of a hub and draw those people in, even if it's for a day, you know, if you can get a healthcare, an allied healthcare practitioner in for a day in terms of, you know, being available. So, I think it's about, you know, looking at opportunities to um, continually uh, educate, um, reach into those rural areas and, and regional areas. But there's also, you know, there's a, like Tassie's, you know, it's so beautiful. We've got such beautiful areas in Tasmania that people can work in. I guess it's just understanding that, you know, those, those communities, um, you know, don't, you're not coming down here for the nightlife. You're not coming to Tassie for the clubs. But if you love your hiking and nature and walking and, 
um, I, I guess, you know, just meeting some really genuine people and being welcome to communities, I think it's a, it's a great, you know, place to be. And I think Tassie's going, you know, at the moment, it's really sort of had a bit of a renaissance, I guess, where people are looking to places like Tasmania as a bit of a as a bit of a refuge. But I'm not trying to paint a picture of, you know, uh, rose-coloured glasses because I know from some of our regional members that it can be really tough. You know, it um, can be difficult in some of those areas, particularly where, you know, they're seen as low socioeconomic areas with, um, you know, pretty kind of, I guess, intergenerational health issues and trying to do all things for everybody can be pretty taxing. So, you know, if you're going to go and work for, a, you know, an owner who's potentially, you know, owns the pharmacy but doesn't work in it and you're going to be an employee pharmacist, you really need to make sure that you get a good balance as a young person to be able to, you know, have your time away on holidays when you need it and that, you know, you can build, you, you build up those act, um, that are access to be able to get, um, you know, locums to cover you and have continuity in your business when you're not there. So there's a few things to be conscious of, but I think on the whole, you know, most of the people that work in the rural pharmacies, you know, really have a deep affection for their communities um, outside of, you know, sometimes it can be can be fairly difficult. But I think on the balance, most people really love it. So it sounds like a great experience, definitely a rewarding one and one where there's lots of opportunity to grow. Lifting back up but staying along the employment track, in what ways does the branch support community pharmacy industry and workforce? That's an interesting question and I, you know, we constantly hear at the moment, oh, you know, workforce and what about workforce and what are we going to do about workforce and you know, it, it is, I guess, a little bit of a um, an issue. We've got a uh, increasingly feminised workforce, and I guess that you know that means that uh, there's differences now in the workforce because um, often, you know, at some point, women, professional women, are going to uh, at some point, many of them have families, and they have, you know, they're caring. Um, requirements of being mums and that comes with a lot of responsibility so I guess there's the flexibility required in businesses which may not have existed years ago and I think that's across a lot of businesses though I think the nature of work is changing for a lot of people and where for some people, you know, say 20, 30 years ago, it was just their career and that's what you did. And, you know, now there's people that are more likely to, you know, I want to be a pharmacist 20 hours a week and I want to do a side hustle 15 hours a week. So I think you have to recognise what younger people want out of their careers. Um, in terms of what we do to support younger people or and the workforce, um, we're involved in Tassie with the with the with UTAS here, I guess, around um, you know their clinical advisory committee, uh, and Tasmania for many years the uni down here had I guess a pipeline of international students, and because of what's happened with COVID, 
you know, that's that's kind of dried up. And of course, you know, we really need to be able to work on how do we um, encourage younger people to undertake a Bachelor of Pharmacy and promote the opportunities of being a pharmacist and particularly in schools. So we regularly get, you know, phone calls from different schools to say, hey, you know, we're doing a careers night, you know, can you come along or a careers day, can you come along? And there's two parts to it. So one part is obviously the, the profession of the pharmacist and then the other part is, you know, the pharmacy assistant um, pathway. So for a vocational type of uh, workforce opportunity versus, a, a you know, a bachelor um, tertiary sort of pathway. But I guess the questions, you know, need to, you've got to, you've sort of got to know what are the kids actually looking for. So some some kids just want to be a doctor, you know, or they want to be a nurse, or they want to be a pharmacist or an engineer. They kind of know what they want. Where others are like, mm, I don't know, you know, and, I, and I, my questions are, you know, are you good at math and science? Um, oh yeah, I, I like science. Have you done chemistry yet? Yep. No, I'm pretty good at chemistry. Oh, have you ever thought about, you know, being a pharmacist? Oh, oh. So you know, you've sort of got to, I guess, do it in a way that that um, I guess they can they can get a bit of an interest. And then I think you've also like some kids have this, you know, they want to be part of the community they grew up in. You know, they still like, like the bank of mum and dad where back in my day, you know, you couldn't wait at 18, you were living in your own flat and not really sort of hanging out at your parents where now that's all changed. You know, it's kind of cosy and good at home and mum and dad are pretty cool. So I'm quite happy to stay there. So, you know, they've got this idea that they're actually quite happy to be working in um, an area where their parents live. So it's a little bit about, you know, here's a great opportunity where you can work in your local community after you finish your Bachelor of Pharmacy as a pharmacist, or you could work in regulatory affairs or policy or a government job or in a hospital. So it's not just about, you know, you've got to be, I think, broad enough to be able to convey the breadth of the profession and get them to understand where a Bachelor of Pharmacy might take them. It's a bit like if you do an accounting degree, you know, you, you're not just, you don't have to be an accountant. You do the degree, but there's all these other things that you could do. So I think for pharmacy, it's a little bit the same, you know, but I think there's a bit of grassroots stuff, you know, that we can do at the Guild to, um, we can't just leave it up to the uni, you know, we have to do a bit of that ourselves about, you know, what is community pharmacy first? You know, it's about what is it and, and letting kids know and also parents know about the opportunities in healthcare and then the opportunities as a pharmacist. And they want to know things about well, how much does the pharmacist earn? You know, they're not shy and, and I don't blame them for that, you know. Um, they want to know what sort of money they're going to get paid. So it's an interesting conversation and uh, you've, you sort of need to be a little bit in touch with the kids um, about what it is they want and, and just, I guess, particularly for the parents to make sure that there might be some information that you can give them about some of the scholarships that exist for, for parents, you know, for kids to be able to go through uni that are provisioned through the, um, you know, the 7CPA 
um, making people aware of those things as well is really important because for some people, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a massive financial undertaking as well. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, we, we need to kind of have a few, you know, young groovy poster children of pharmacy type thing, you know, to sort of be able to put out there and, and see the, the opportunity of um, what working in a community pharmacy looks like. And recently I had a little brochure produced and and I kind of did the whole, you know, you can work in the surfing communities or you could work in the farming regions or you could work in a big city if you want to. You know, it's kind of painting a broad picture about the opportunities for work. So um, at a pharmacy level for members, I guess, you know, we are constantly asked, you know, I need pharmacists and we have overseas trained pharmacists that, um, you know, look for work in, in Tasmania and they're on the skilled occupation list. And that is a challenge as well because whilst they may pass what is known as their CAPS, which is about their knowledge equivalency um, and their English, you know, is they've, they've passed their English, it's about them understanding the context of community pharmacy in Australia. So, you know, there's a lot of work that, that has to be done to support those people. And I think that that's another thing that, that the, we could actually do a little bit of work on. They're keen to work, um, but it's not as easy as a, you know, what I call a homegrown intern, so to speak. It's, you know, there's the cultural aspect of it, the supporting aspect, um, and just knowing that, uh, it's not like somebody who's grown up in Australia and kind of has, you know, even if you said, if you had if you had no knowledge of the PBS and you said to somebody, oh, it's on the PBS, they kind of know what you mean, even though they've had no real understanding of it. But if you say to a person from an, another country about Medicare or the PBS or, you know, the 7 CPA or whatever, they're just, you know, so there's a lot of contextual work that also has to be done with, with people from overseas and, uh, you know, I hope that, that, you know, we can get more people um, from overseas working in pharmacies, but I think that our members need support to do that and, and I think that, you know, where there's some of the subsidies around rural areas for pharmacists taking on interns where they get some, uh, um, I guess, subsidy towards their wage, I think that realistically that should just exist across the board because there's a lot of work in taking on an intern. You know, you're supervising somebody and signing off on them to go and work as a fully-fledged pharmacist. And I think that, you know, realistically, um, government needs to recognise that and the work that goes into getting a pharmacist ready to, you know, fly the coops, so to speak, and, and and be able to just, you know, start working as a as a pharmacist in their own right. Well, I can see you and the brand staff are very busy and very passionate, very dedicated to your members and community pharmacy. So I've got one last question, but I kind of feel like you're not going to be able to boil it down for us, but let's try anyway. One last question to finish us off today. What do you enjoy most about your role in supporting members? For an example, you know, through COVID last year, we were sending out information and I guess we were advocating with our, our local politicians. And I think that 
I got, you know, a couple of cards and I got, you know, we got a hamper into the branch and a few other bits and pieces. And I think that what I love is the fact that people recognise the work that you do and, you know, they say to you, you know, you're doing a good job in there, Mom. You know, you and the branch, it's really great to see. So it's about sometimes the small wins and sometimes it's about really just, you know, being knowing that you've walked away from work that day, being able to help one member get a resolution to something. I, You know, so you can't lose sight of whilst the scope stuff's really great and sexy and oh, I wish that we could get our minister to agree on some of these things and we kind of go out there and say, wow, this is awesome. And that's what you obviously, I guess, are working towards. I think it's important not to lose sight of some of the small things that actually make a really big difference to people and getting, you know, recognition or, a, a, you know, an email to say, hey, thanks very much or a card, you know, is still really nice to see. And, and I just, you know, I love to be able to say to the branch, hey, you know, we did a really good thing or that thing we did, you know, our members were really wrapped with it or, you know, we got lots of positive responses and, you know, I, I feel... Um, like when we send our e-news out to our members and I ask, you know, Yulia, who does all the comms, what was the open rate, you know, and she said, oh, it's 60%, you know, that, and she says, that's really high, Mon, you know, you should, and I'm like, well, it should be more than that. No. But I know that people are actually engaged with what we're doing. Our members are engaged and they look for us for that help and that, I guess, that, you know, source of truth and to be there for them. So I think it's just really, you know, being able to, you know, help help our members, you know, help our members for them to be able to go and do what they need to do in their pharmacies and, and try to make things easier for them because, you know, they've got a lot of stuff going on. It's not like a normal retail shop, you know. You count the money at the end of the night and you sign a few things off and lock up the doors. It's very, very complex and it's becoming more so, absolutely. Monique Mackerel, Tasmanian Guild Branch Director, thank you so much for coming on the show today and taking us inside what sounds like an extremely busy uh, process at your branch, but taking us inside a day in the life of a Guild Branch. Thank you, Daniel. It's been awesome to have a chat to you and, uh, you know, I love I love what we do. Um, I, I think the members really appreciate it and, uh, you know, I just hope that uh, we can achieve some of the things that we've spoken about today. What great insight into the operations of a Guild branch but also the vision of the Guild and what the community pharmacy industry can expect from the advocacy and support provided. As Monique discussed by providing local knowledge and advocacy, community pharmacies are supported across the country to create a vibrant and dynamic community pharmacy network that is essential for the health and well-being of all Australians. The Guild is here for you to ensure you are there for your patients. If you would like more information on Guild membership, contact your local Guild branch today. Simply visit guild.org.au forward slash contact. I've been your host Daniel Austin and you've been listening to episode 82 of the PBCN podcast. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.